0: Well, good afternoon, is it afternoon? Yes, it is, four minutes. So I get the privilege of continuing today in our series on Daniel. The first thing I'm gonna do in this message is point to a couple facts, and that's actually a couple slides before this one. (laughs) There it is. These are a couple numbers. 329 million people live in the United States hundred and nineteen million of these people are estimated by survey studies to describe themselves as lonely. Are you aware that Great Britain has recently created a role called the Minister of Loneliness? This is to address what they believe to be a public health crisis. 39 million Americans, or just over one in 10, are estimated by survey studies to not believe in God, or to be an atheist. 32 million Americans have gotten divorced since the year 2000. 750,000 Americans have died from drug overdoses in just over two decades. For reference, that number is more Americans than have died in World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, and the Revolutionary War combined. I want to share one last statistic. There's about about 65 people attend Monument Church on a regular basis. How can we make a dent in the tragic statistics around addiction, and loneliness, and atheism and the desperate, the desperate numbers that we're reading. And I actually wanna show a graph. This graph could be a bit depressing. Look at that chart. We don't even show up on that chart, on that scale. We don't even get a bar. How can we, who are so few, point so many people to this glorious hope of the gospel. What power does any one of us have? Imagine we had a thousand lifetimes. We still wouldn't wouldn't make a line on that graph. So I'm going to share today of the power that each one of us has. As you're sitting here, God has given you power. Do you know that you have it? A power that can change the numbers that we saw, materially, noticeably. A power that can change not just America, but the entire world. What is this power, you may ask? Well, let's look at the story of Daniel and see. So read along with me. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should be given account, should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and there was no error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish an injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction that you assigned, but makes petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it's the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions." the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his Lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. So my big idea today is that prayer has earth-moving power. In our story, we've left Daniel hanging on a cliff, but we'll come back to him. We're going to look at how Daniel was powerful in prayer and how we can follow his example. So first, prioritize prayer. Verse 10 says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously." It's easy in these stories to miss the real decision when we know the end of the story, or at least to miss the crazy stakes that he was encountering, and the drama that someone would have experienced in real time. So let's, pres- let's pretend that we don't know that Daniel survives the lion's den. Let's imagine for a second that Daniel doesn't survive. Because I'm gonna say something crazy, God would still be on his throne if Daniel didn't survive. Stephen didn't survive. John the Baptist was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. So let's pretend for a moment that we don't know what will happen, that he doesn't become Daniel and the lion's den, but he becomes Daniel the martyr, or at least consider that that was a real possibility, because it was. So when Daniel was presented with the option of stop praying for one month and live, or pray and die, he chose pray and die. He considered a life without praying for one month not worth living. John Piper says, not praying was a worse prospect to Daniel than being eaten by lions that's a radical commitment to prayer just think of it can you say with daniel you will have to take my life before you take my prayer wow. the second thing we see in terms of his prioritization of prayer was that daniel knew that his most influ- most influential action was prayer so prayer as you might have experienced recently is under attack both in our culture and in his culture. uh, It's a parallel. You may have heard the statement, you can keep your thoughts and prayers. It's often said in a moment of tragedy or loss, as a consolation, thoughts and prayers go out to you. Then there's a cultural groundswell that says prayers are a useless reaction to tragedy and, and loss. And it's basically an impotent response it's just a euphemism for doing nothing. So if any time thoughts and prayers would have seemed like avoiding real action, it actually would have been Daniel's case. So I can almost guarantee that none of us in our lifetimes will have as much of a hand on the steering wheel of political influence as Daniel had. But did he run to the king's court where he, his key card would have worked? Did he scurry around and trying to politically maneuver his way to undo this immoral law? He could have appealed to Darius. Darius was his buddy. He could have sought through his influence to change the king's mind. But was that where he spent his influence? If we're honest, it's not just the culture that thinks that has a low view of prayer. It's often us too. If Daniel was in your small group, I want to see a show of hands who would have recommended. His first course of action would be to pray. (laughs) Good job, Katie. (laughs) Wouldn't have been me. I've tried to imagine myself in in the setting that Daniel comes and says, guys, what do you suggest I do? I'm basically the president of this place, and I know King Darius. What should I do? I would not have said, Daniel, go to your upper chamber, get on your knees, and pray in front of the window. We can learn from Daniel's response. Daniel knew that in spite of all the other influence that he had, that his most influential action was prayer. Presumably asking God to turn the heart of the king and to give thanks. So we see in verse 10, he went to his chamber and prayed. So Daniel's prayer in this situation makes no sense. Unless prayer has world-moving power. Prioritizing prayer is not the right response unless prayer is what the Bible says it is. So let's look at what the Bible says about the power of prayer. So, do you know first, do you know that you could lift, you could lift an entire planet if you just had the right lever? A principle of physics says that if you had a lever that was 6.2 times 10 to the 18th miles long, or basically, a light year and a half, a single human being could move the planet Earth. Daniel's choice to risk everything, to pray, only makes sense if he believes that God's put a spiritual tool in his hands that can move the world. Daniel had already seen the power of prayer in his life, right? There'd been miraculous intervention... And turning the minds of kings and rescuing thousands of lives from a massacre and revealing dreams and giving wisdom. So Daniel had experienced in his young life the power of prayer and that marked him in the decisions that we see him make. So in that moment that we left Daniel on the cliffhanger inside the den of lions, he must have been recounting to himself the prayers that were answered. So like Daniel today, I'm going to try to remind us I'm going to remind us of a few instances of answered prayer. And they're actually recounting prayers that I've seen specifically God answer in in my life. But before I do that, I want to speak speak briefly to those who have prayed for something that God did not give, or where he appeared to remain silent when you cried out to him. You could be tempted to consider your experience of pain and loss, as a proof positive that prayer does not work. Proof that you chose the wrong Sunday to come to church, and all of this is just painful salt on the wound. There is a mysterious sovereignty of God that is not the emphasis of my message today. But that God does hear, and he does care, and he's with you through suffering, remains perfectly true. As much as it is true, that he can and does answer prayer powerfully. Jesus has known <clears> that the, the deepest silence of God in the in the garden of Gethsemane as he prayed. And he's also purchased for us a future and a hope where there's no mystery. There's no suffering and there's no tears. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Great Divorce, you cannot in your present state understand eternity. That's what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. It's hard for this not to feel like a platitude to those who have suffered greatly and have prayed faithfully. But I'm trusting that God's word this morning will remind you afresh that his kind heart weeps with you in your pain. And he also guides the entire universe by the word of his power. And one day he will redeem and restore. So today he wants to invite you to continue to pray or to start praying again without fully understanding that tension and the mystery of these things. So I'm going to share a story of my my youngest child. When my wife was about a month and a half into her pregnancy, we went for a sonogram, and the sonogram technician, and then following the OB, came in and told us that, that our baby was going to be a miscarriage, our the pregnancy was going to be a miscarriage. Um, they both agreed that the abnormality that they saw in the sonogram was going to result in the death of our precious baby. We cried out to the Lord for that whole day in the afternoon evening crying and crying out to the Lord. We prayed with family. We prayed with our, our friends. The following day we went to a specialist who was going to either affirm or, or kind of give us the next steps of, of what to do medically. And um, as they pulled up the same sonogram photos, images that we had looked at the previous day, They said, there is no abnormality. There is nothing to see here. And um, I believe that that was an answered prayer. Second story, I I was talking with an Indian pastor who's affiliated with Advance. I met him at one of the conferences. And he shared with me a story of his church in India where a family had tragically witnessed the slow decline and death of their infant son. The mother was a recent convert to Christianity among a family of Hindus, and she was crying out Jesus' name over her infant son as as his breath was slowing and ultimately stopped. The Hindu family members accused the mom, it's because you believe in Jesus that this is happening to you. To which she replied in her grief, no, it's because you do not. And as the mom continued to pray, over her now dead son, the boy's hand slowly, slowly closed. At which point all the family members who were there accusing then together started calling out the name of Jesus over this child. The breath returned to the boy. He was raised to life and he's now 12 years old and plays percussion in a church in India. There was a time in my young adult life where I hosted a prayer meeting with other singles that we would come together every week and pray and make our requests known to God. We kept a list of these things and we would write them down every meeting. I'm not exaggerating to say that every single one of the prayers that we wrote down were answered. We would come every week expecting to cross off things that we had prayed for. There was an awe that started to fall on our group in amazement and in a faith, that season of my life marked me with a confidence in God's powerful and loving attention to the prayers of his people. So are these stories about me or about others who pray or about prayer warriors in our church? No. If you're like me I can focus too much on my contribution to the equation of powerful and impactful prayer. Oh, was, I, was I praying long enough? Was I undistracted enough? Did I have a long enough quiet time? Have I asked enough times? And I want to remind us that God is the one that puts this powerful lever of world-moving change and power in our hands. And there is no request too large for him. When we focus on us, we're focusing on the wrong piece of the equation. And I want to look at a couple um, samples of this of this equation that I was thinking of. So if you look at us plus a simple prayer plus God, we receive God's power. But, but what, about, what about us in a long prayer? Us in a long prayer plus God equals God's power. Okay, but what about a weak us? What if I haven't had my quiet time? What if I've sinned against the Lord this week? What if I have a short and distracted prayer and have God? I also have God's power. I want to read a quote to us from Max Lucado. It says, Our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. And what is God's power that we get? I just want to point out, and I'm not going to stay here, but this is incredible. The power of God that we have with us It's the power that makes the creation of the stars a footnote on creation. After God made the heavens and the earth, it talks about the stars, the billions of stars and the billions of galaxies, and it says, and he made the stars. It is a footnote on the story of creation that God made the stars. The nearest star to us would take eight years for us to know whether it had blown up because it, light travels, at however fast it travels, it would take us eight years to know that the nearest star to us, aside from the sun, has gone out. That God, it says in Isaiah 40, says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out their starry host one by one calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. So this powerful God both invites us to pray and commands us to pray, and then he gives us these promises around prayer. And I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm going to... This is actually, this is not the full list of scripture promises around prayer. I'm going to read a couple. Matthew 77, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Matthew 21, 22. In all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Look at John 16, 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. So he gives room for those of us who are growing in our prayer lives. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. So our role, ask, humble ourselves, ask together, knock, abide, God's role is everything else. And he is capable. So let's pick up that powerful spiritual tool that we have that can move the world. So now that we know that we can pray powerfully, and he invites us and commands us to pray, and there's all these promises around prayer, how do we respond? We must put this into practice. So let's look at Daniel's example so we can be inspired. First, remind yourself to pray. So Daniel prayed three times a day as a pattern of his life. He did this so regularly that his enemies knew that his patterns were unbreakable. He prayed with the penalty of death hanging over his head. The same as he had done previously, it says. His enemies knew that his convictions were so strong and that he was so faithful that all this conspiring and working together to get this law set up so that Daniel could be condemned, they they knew that it would work. What they had witnessed had given them this confidence that a faithful, submitted, obedient, prayerful man like Daniel would be condemned. So what habits have you built into your life to remind yourselves to pray? Maybe habitual prayer can actually feel a bit hollow and repetitive. Or maybe you've seen the spoof. There's this um, product pitch for pre-blessed food. Have you seen this? Pre-blessed food. (laughs) We pray for it, so you don't have to, they say. (laughs) The prayers pre-meals can just be these throwaways. Lord, bless the food to our bodies. What does that even mean? I don't know, but do it, Lord. Building habits of prayer around your life can easily become stale and silly. So before dinner can be a tough time to have a meaningful prayer. And also, it can be an annoying time for those prayer warriors to come out. (laughs) I'm famished. just finish your darn prayer. Um, But don't waste those moments. Don't waste those moments. Let the rhythms of your life remind you to pray and to thank God and to use that world moving lever that God puts in your hands. Yeah, that's good. So I've had a habit for about the last 20 years where anytime the clock reads the same number, I'll pray for wisdom. So anytime it's 111, 222, 333, whatever, I'll pray for wisdom. I don't actually know how that started and I don't know why it started. But I promise you I've prayed hundreds of times for wisdom because of that just simple, silly reminder. So what are the things that we can build into our lives to remind us to pray? Secondly, pray with others. Praying with others is some of the most powerful ways to grow in prayer. I've learned so much about praying by praying with God's people. Praying with Caleb, praying with Eric, praying with my family, and seeing my mom pray every morning. Pray with others. We see that Daniel prayed with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah when Nebuchadnezzar was threatening to kill all the wise men in Babylon. Daniel came to these guys and said, Seek mercy from God in heaven. Let's do this together. And in their praying, God answered and averted a massacre. In Daniel 2, we see that. So speaking of praying together, we've got these three moments this summer please 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 make a priority of being there we don't have the threat of death hanging over us to pray but we have no less urgency to pray as a people and lastly pray the bible so as you're developing a prayer life learn to use god's word to guide your prayers pray his promises back to him As an example, when I pray for wisdom, I oftentimes will pray from James 1, where it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. I pray, Lord, that is your promise to me. When I ask you for wisdom, you will give it. So, Lord, give me wisdom. It's a way of engaging with God's word and to ask for things you know with certainty that he wants to give to you. So when we last left Daniel, he was in the lion's den. Let's pick up the story where we left off. So in verse 19 it says, "Then at the break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions." And he came near, as he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out with a tone of anguish, fully expecting to see Daniel dead. The king declared to Daniel, "O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the den of lions, from the lions?" And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders in the earth, in heaven, and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So recall the things that Daniel must have prayed when he went to his chamber. He must have prayed for protection. He must have prayed for justice, for God's glory to be known in the earth. And consider how God answered. Protection from the lions, justice with his accusers, Glory of God to all peoples and nations and languages. So I started with a graph that may have been discouraging, a graph that shows seemingly insurmountable challenges despair and loneliness, broken homes, addiction, godlessness. Then we look at Daniel, who had the same access to God that we have, the same invitation to pray, and the same world moving power of prayer. God's miraculous power through Daniel's prayers spread the fame and the glory of God to all nations in that time. And it's just, This isn't just ancient history, family, so God's power is living and active today. If you look back a couple hundred years, the 18th century, John Wesley, the famous reformer, he led a wave of spiritual reform and renewal in England. As a man of prayer, Wesley interceded for revival to sweep through England and into America. In his bedroom, you can still see it today if you visit his home, there are two visibly worn places on the carpet next to Wesley's bed where the man knelt for hours in prayer each day, crying out for revival. As history tells us, that's exactly what happened. Heaven broke in and revival broke out. More recently, Billy Graham would invite people to start praying in the, for revival in the cities that he was traveling. He would send them six months in advance to start praying for revival. And revival broke out. We've considered this morning how, how prayer has earth-moving power. I, I want to wear out my floor with my pleas for our Lord to do it again. I pray that we leave today with a fresh courage and charge to pray, a fresh faith to ask for more than you can hope for, and to watch God Almighty work in our world through our prayers. Would you stand with me? I just want to close in prayer. God, we, we want to pray. We want to remember to pray. We want to have confidence in you in the power of God Almighty who holds the stars, who makes measure of the universe with his hand. God, we ask you to do great things. Lord, we ask you to break addiction. We ask for you to restore marriages We ask for you to break into people's hearts that do not believe in God or don't understand the grace and mercy of a loving Savior. We ask that you would break into families, Lord, that you would save children in our our church, that you would rescue people in Frederick that are struggling with drug addiction and that are struggling in the brokenness of a world that is devoid of you. God, would you revive this city of Frederick, Lord? Would you revive the state of Maryland? Would you revive the United States of America, Lord? Would revival break out in your name? Would we be a people of prayer, God? There is only 65 of us, God, but but us on our knees before you, before the King of the Universe. God, would you do it again? Lord, would you do it again? Would you restore? Would you redeem? Would you heal? Amen.